0: Well, that took a strange turn. Did you hear yesterday's broadcast? That it started off like it was going to go one direction, I ended up being wrong, and it kind of went a different direction, and then I kind of realized, well, maybe I wasn't too wrong, and then it kind of just started going all over the place. It I don't know what you think about yesterday's broadcast, but it's time for a new one because guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We have arrived at day 26, scripture number 26, and who knows what strange turns are in our future, but we are about to find out starting right now. Good morning, everyone. It is Friday, July the 8th, 2022. It is currently 11.01 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. And yes, yesterday's broadcast did take some strange turns, but that's kind of what's going to happen in this series. And you know what series this is, 30 scriptures in 30 days. Today, we've made it to day 26, scripture number 26, and we are going to let this unfold in real time, and whatever happens, happens. I'm just glad we've made it to day 26, to scripture number 26. I, I have questioned this numerous times. I do want to thank all of the people who've been very encouraging, telling me, "Yes, you're going to finish this. You can do this. Make it, make it to the end." I greatly appreciate it because hopefully, when it's all said and done, at least there will be some, at least for me there will be at least a sense of accomplishment and hopefully for you you'll be like you know that those were you know strange those 30 broadcasts were somewhat strange and kind of took some weird turns but i i think i think i got something from it and if that if that happens and you got took something from it and you learned something and challenged by something then hopefully all of the craziness turns out to be worthwhile. That That's the goal, and that is the plan. Now, let's just remind ourselves briefly. Many years ago, Charles Stanley wrote a book called 30 Life Principles. That book became a Bible called the Life Principles Bible, became a study guide. I came across those books and was always confused and perplexed by the books because Charles Stanley gives me 30 principles. He gives 30 passages of scripture in which that those scriptures are where these principles supposedly were derived and supposedly where they came from. The only problem is I had so I had so many difficulties in trying to bring together the principle and the scriptures. I'm like they just don't fit. They just don't fit. It's like a, a puzzle where all the pieces don't fit. And so it bothered me because I I always feel like I've got to get something out of that book. If I bought the book, I've got to get something out of it. I've got to have notes. I've got to. I've gotta done some teaching from it, something, because I don't like to waste books. So I would go pick the books back up, work on them, and go, this is so frustrating. This is so frustrating. And finally, I decided, you know what? I'll grab the books. I'll turn on the microphone. And in real time, right, not preparing beforehand, but in real time, I'll say, all right, everyone, we're in this together. Here's the principle. Here's the scripture he offers Let's see if we can figure out what to do with this scripture. And I think it's been somewhat fun. The goal is to try to move you from a passive listener to an active participant, trying to get you to figure it out. And in a someone at church on Wednesday night mentioned they do like kind of seeing the the hermeneutical process kind of just unfold in real time. They they think that that's the the that's their favorite part of it is watching me kind of struggle going, "Well, okay, we could do this, we could do this." However, yesterday I kind of made a mistake. Nobody, nobody called me out on it, but I kind of made a mistake. If you remember, I'm going to go back to yesterday, or to uh, in the book, I'm going to go back to day 25, or principle number 25. Remember the principle was, God blesses us so that we might bless others. And immediately I looked down and saw Ephesians 4.28, and so I, I'm like, well... There's no way that connects, right? There's no way. Without even looking at Ephesians 4.28, I presupposed what I, what. I put it this way, I based my introduction on my memory of the verse. And there's a part of that that was correct. The verse does talk about those who steal don't steal anymore, right? Um, I knew that there was, the verse talked about not stealing. So I kind of gave my introduction to, almost as if there's no connection between this verse and the principle. And what do I always say? No matter what you think you remember about a verse, no matter what you think you know about the verse, you always have to set that aside and then look at the verse again new. I was just trying to create, hopefully, a compelling introduction. So I kind of messed up. I should have waited. But when we finally got to the verse, you could see some connection with this. The only problem is, he he wrote his principle as god blesses us so that we might bless others he uses the word bless blesses and bless uh, and guess what that word doesn't appear anywhere in the entire chapter of ephesians chapter 4 so i still would have some problems and still believe there's a disconnect uh, but i i i i should have like wait wait and read the verse think about the verse before you say anything but i was trying to create an introduction But I was doing so just basically, I just looked down like, oh, Ephesians 4.28. Oh, that's that verse about not stealing. And just, I just acted like I knew what was there when there was a part of it that I was missing. So, yeah, that's something you don't do. You always set aside your previous memory of a verse and look at it anew. So, are you ready for today? All right. Day 26. Scripture number 26. Principle number 26. Charles Stanley's book. I have it right here. I haven't read the scripture. Now, I, I, I see the scripture listed here. They don't, they don't actually have the quote. They just have Philippi- They just have the, the passage. Of, I almost gave it away, obviously, from the book of Philippians. So I have an idea of what it's about, but I'm not going to make the mistake that I did yesterday and then just say, oh, let me come up with an introduction. Nope, not going to do that. Not going to do that. We'll just let, we'll work our way there. And then what we find is what we will deal with. All right. But here is the principle. you ready? Here we go. Uh, I'm I'm trying to make sure you're ready. Uh, I'm trying to give you a, a, a chance. Are you ready? Here we go. Principle number 26, according to Charles Stanley, is this. Adversity is a bridge to a deeper relationship with God. Adversity is a bridge to a deeper relationship with God. Now, once again, that sounds super spiritual. That sounds super spiritual, right? Hey, you're suffering adversity. Well, guess what? It's a bridge to a deeper relationship with God. See, here you are, and there's God on the other side, right? And you can't really have a deeper relationship with him. But if there's a little adversity in your life, then that builds a bridge, and you can just cross that bridge, and then you have a more intimate and a deeper relationship with God. It sounds super spiritual, right? And you could see why people would be kind of drawn to the idea. I'm not saying the idea is right. I'm not saying the idea is wrong. I'm just saying you could see why the idea, everyone would want to embrace the idea, right? Because at adversity, everybody's going to experience adversity in their life. Everyone, in some way, shape, or form, there's going to be pain. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be trial. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be tragedy. There's going to be death. All those kinds of things happen in life. Now, either you just look at that adversity and you're like, why is this happening? I don't understand. Or you go, wait, 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 wait. There's good things that come from this adversity. So I won't see the adversity necessarily as a negative thing. I'll see it as a bridge that brings me to a deeper relationship with God. Now, you could raise your hand and go, but wait a minute. Are you saying the only way I can have a deeper relationship with God is if I experience adversity I have to experience adversity so that I can have a deeper relationship with God. That would be a reasonable question. All right. Um, Someone just said, sounds spiritual, makes some sense. I can see ways that this could play out true or not. Sometimes I, I, I I definitely sounds spiritual and there's some, and I can see the benefit of embracing kind of a concept like this because it helps you deal with adversity. And I, and I would agree that, and I think we have to be honest Every adversity will either bring us closer to God or it will become a sore. Think of it this way. Every adversity is a possible temptation because for every adversity, if we respond to it in an incorrect way, well, then we end up sinning and then there's the difficulties there. Or we respond to the adversity in a right way, then maybe it does bring us into a deeper relationship with God. But then you could ask yourself, but if I do sin, can sin and failure sometimes bring us closer to God? That that that's almost a separate podcast episode. But I I think sometimes it's true. I think sometimes when we fall on our face and we sin, and sometimes if the, sh- the if the sin is extremely s- sensational, scandalous, and Shameful, I think it can sometimes break us and bring us even closer to God. I, I, I think, I think we would have to acknowledge. I think sometimes we all we see that the only time we can get closer to God is when everything goes right. But I think sometimes we get closer to God when things go wrong. Then, our coming out of that broken repenting brings us closer to God. I, you know, it's the kind of that concept: those who is for those who are forgiven much love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little, right? Sometimes maybe it's those who have sinned the greatest, fallen the most, who love God more. There's lots of different directions we could go with this, but let's see where he wants us to go, all right? Again, adversity is a bridge to a deeper relationship with God. The passage, Philippians chapter 3. Verses 10 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. I'm grabbing my Bible right now. (laughs) I always say it like, I always say, and I get so serious. I say the passage is so (laughs) like, Because it, what my mind is thinking is like, what am I getting ready to find? Like like I, I it's like in a normal in a normal study, I'm like, okay, Philippians chapter three verses 10 through 11, right? I just say it in a really normal way. but for this for these studies, I'm always like, Philippians chapter 3, 10 through 11, because I'm sitting there thinking what what's, what am I getting ready to find? I have no idea. I don't know. Sometimes I have an idea of what's there, but I, I don't know. So here we go, Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. Philippians 3, verse 10. All right, making sure I'm looking at the right verse. Philippians 3, 10, 11. That I may know him. Okay, now it's just... This book drives me so crazy. I mean, that, this just pulls this verse so... It is... It's just, there's, there's obviously context here, and it's just well, it just completely rips it out of context. All right. That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. (laughs) Oh, man, alive. Okay, wait a minute. So adversity is a bridge that brings me a, a deeper relationship with God. And this says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Uh, I'm going to read this in a different translation. Because I don't know what in the world I'm going to have. To, we're going to have to forget that principle really quick. I have a feeling here. All right, let me grab a different translation here. Philippians chapter three. Oh boy, this is so much fun. I really, it, really it, 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 it would be fun if there's just nobody sitting, if there was nobody listening to me right now. All right, here we go. Philippians chapter three, verse 10. This translation may help us a little bit. My goal, that's interesting. So Paul writing to the church at Philippi that his goal is to know him, I'm assuming know Christ, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now, that whole assuming I will doesn't seem to show much security. So that that could raise some theological issues. That idea that his goal is to know Christ, the power of the resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. Why does Paul want to know these things? What does it mean that he does? If we go back, I'm going to go back to the King James. I'm going to back up a verse and see if we get any help here. All right. I'm going to go back. All right. I'm going to go back to verse seven, Philippians 3, 7. Okay, I was going to go back one verse, but I'm just going to go back to seven and see if we can figure something out here. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Now, if you look at those things before, it's the way he lived his life, right? Uh, he talked about all the things that he were. He was circumcised the eighth day, stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, all of these external acts and things he did, which would have demonstrated some kind of practical or external righteousness, righteousness in his actions, righteousness and what, and the deeds that he was doing. But it says but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. All of those fleshly things that he did, he, he counted them lost so that he could gain Christ, because we can't bring to Christ our righteousness and say, here, here you go, does this work? No, we have, to, we have to throw all of that out in order to have his imputed righteousness, because we can't bring anything to it, all right? That makes some kind of sense. Uh, he goes on, verse 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of many things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. So he's embraced the mentality, I'm willing to lose anything, I'm willing to lose everything that I may win Christ. I'm not going to cling to anything I'm not going to cling to my previous identity I'm not going to cl- cling to my previous righteousness I'm not going to cling to my pre- previous religious actions I'm going to cling to nothing I count it all but dung all but loss i it's it's I, it's i it's gone because I can win Christ right so far so good verse 9 and he and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Then he comes to the point, because he he realizes everything else is basically, he's, he loses everything else. He throws all of that away so that he obtains not his own righteousness anymore, but the righteousness of Christ which is obtained by faith. In other words, he can't bring his righteousness. He can't bring his good deeds. He can't bring his good works. All of that is useless. So he he considers all of that dung, and then by faith, he obtains a righteousness that comes by faith, a righteousness that is imputed. That, that, that all sounds really good. Then verse 10, that I, and so he he's embraced this righteousness of Christ that comes by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So it seems that he throws everything else aside because he wants to know the power of his resurrection. He wants to know the fellowship of his sufferings. He wants to be made conformable unto his death that if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. It seems like he's going to throw everything away. He's not going to cling to anything so that ultimately he can obtain the resurrection of the dead. Okay. I don't know what this has to do with the principle. I don't know what this has to do. See, there's a part of me like, let's talk about adversity, but this really doesn't. I, I The closest thing in this verse that would bring up adversity would be that I, that I may know him, I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings that seems to be the closest we can get. I'm going to look at their study guide and see if they at least grab on to that phrase, all right? Because it, this is just weird because the, this principle seems so disconnected. Once again, this is the puzzle doesn't fit. See, and and this would this would give you an example of what would happen to me. I'd be sitting at a desk with a notebook and a, a pencil and this book and the you know the life principles book and the study guide and I would just be going, "What? I, and then I would stand up, walk around for a few minutes, come back going, how? Okay, yes. Someone just said, "Will you explain the fellowship of his sufferings?" Well, I'm, I'm going to try to on the spot. We're going to put it this way. We're going to try to figure this out together, right? But here, I would be sitting here just totally perplexed. So I'm, I'm not even going to worry about his whole idea that adversity is a bridge. I. I'm just going to throw all of that out, right? I don't even know what in the world is going on here. What we're going to do, I'm going to briefly look through the study guide and see if we can figure out what is the fellowship of his sufferings, see if the study guide offers it. If it doesn't, then we're going to start a just a real-time research project to see if we can figure that out in any meaningful way. Oh, I could give you some thoughts, but we'll... We'll work on this and see what we can discover, all right? So I'm, I'm just going to scroll through this, all right? Nothing here, nothing here, nothing here, nothing here. They literally don't, they don't, they literally don't even deal with it, which is just, the one thing in the in the and the and the vert in the passage that would have something to do with suffering, they just ignore. it. They, the, the study guide goes to all kinds of other passages. It goes to other passages. It's absolutely confusing. So let's do this. Let's do this. All right. Let's go to. I'm going to open up Google. If you want to participate, we can work on this together. All right. So we're going to do this um, like we're this is how we're going to work this. All right. So, because this is one of my favorite things in Bible college and, uh, hopefully, um, you'll, you, we, we will, this, see, this works better when you have a act, when people are right here in front of you, but we're going to do this virtually online. So here we go. All right. Here's what we're going to do. First, I want you to, we're going to, I'm going to it's, it, think of it this way imagine this. You just walked into Bible college, seminary Bible Institute, all right. You walked in and we're like, okay, on the board, is Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, And the verse is written out, this I may know, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You walk in, you see it on the board, right? But the only thing, there's something circled in the verse and the thing that is circled in the verse is fellowship of his sufferings. It's circled And underneath it is just a big question mark. Boom. So you walk in, you look at the board. The teacher walks up and goes, okay, guys, you've got two hours. Figure that out. What is the fellowship of his sufferings? Well, for us, we've got about 40 minutes. We're going to try to get this done before the top, before the hour ends, we're at 23 minutes right now. So that's, that's what we're going to try to do in real time. is figure out fellowship of his suffering. So here's what you can do. If you're listening live, you can email me newsif at yahoo.com. I will definitely try to check. You can post comments in the chat. If they stop showing up here, I will check. um, I will check uh, on the iPad because then uh, I will see everything. So if I'm a little bit, uh, yes, we can use, well, here's what we can use. All right, someone just asked, what can we use? That's good. In class, in this class today, man, all, you can use anything, but we're, this is where we're going to start. Or we're going to start right here, all right? Because I'm going to try to walk you through it together, and then I'll give you the opportunity to see what you can find quickly. All right, here we go. Open up Google. I know that's, yeah, I don't like any, it, I Okay, we'll go with Google, <laughs> all right? I'm just joking. I'm getting Start making jokes about Android devices and everything, but we won't go there. So go to Google and just type in Philippians 3.10. Philippians 3.10 and look for the entry that says Biblehub.com. For me, it's one, two, three. It's the fourth entry. And here we go, all right? Now, the first thing we're going to get here is we're going to get all the English translations. And the reason I'm going to all the English translations is sometimes the translators, they take a phrase. Some of them just try to go very like word word for word. Some translations are far more like, okay, they're going to try to almost help us understand what it says, almost like a commentary more than a translation. And, I, and so therefore, I don't always like them, but I, I do like to at least see what they do with the phrase And then we'll we'll see if it gives us any insight. All right, so here we go. Philippians 3, 10. The first translation I have here is the New International Version. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. So this, once again, emphasizes that Paul is saying, I want to know Christ, and I want to know two things specifically, the power of his resurrection, and he wants to know something, it seems, and maybe this knowledge is more than just a head knowledge, he wants an experiential knowledge, he wants to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul wants to, in a sense, suffer, share in in the suffering so that he can become like him in his death. What in the world is that referring to? What is that talking about? Does that mean I need to see which country does it around Easter? Is it the Philippines, where people will allow themselves to be crucified, uh, literally have nails driven through their hands and feet, to, so they can in a sense share in His sufferings? I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's calling. Uh, I don't think it's calling for that. I don't think it's calling for that. All right, let's go to the New Living Translation. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. Oh, now that's someone just pointed out something very good. They're getting ahead of the rest of the class. Okay. But they pointed out something really good. If he wants to know the power of his resurrection, that may give a hint uh, that it's not literal. Well, what it depends. Some could I'll, I'll go a couple of directions I'll just entertain this really quick. Some will say, hey, if you want to truly understand and experience the power of the resurrection in other words, you want to truly be resurrected on the last day that literal bodily resurrection. if you truly want to experience that, then you have to endure a certain level of suffering, almost kind of a works-based concept. And I, I could kind of mix this in with a little bit of Catholicism. We could go there, right? Or I want to know the power of his resurrection. And the way I know the power of his resurrection is in a sense that I become like him in his death. If I, if I die in some way, then I experience a resurrection in some way. So do we take both of these? He's not referring to a literal resurrection, and we we refer to these both in some metaphorical way, not actual physical suffering, not actual physical resurrection. There's a lot of directions we could go, but let's let's go through these again, all right? So um, the New Living Translation, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead, Now, I like that idea. The New Living Translation just says, I want to experience the power that raised him from the dead. In other words, I'm not looking for a resurrection. I just want that same, I want to experience that same power. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. So he wants to experience power and he wants to experience death. Is, Is that a better way of trying to see what's going on here? Let's go to the ESV. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Not super helpful. Berean study. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to him in death. Okay, not super helpful. And then we have the King James, which we've, all, we've read all of these. I'm going to go to the Amplified because the Amplified is long and they offer a lot here. All right, here we go. Listen to this. And this, so that I may know him, And then they have uh, experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person uh, uh, more completely. So when it says, I want to know him, they define know him here in the Amplified Bible as experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. And in that same way, experience the power of his resurrection which overflows and is active in believers and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness even to his death dying as he did wow they amplified really they uh, they go into write a small commentary so it's What they say, it's not the actual resurrection, it's the power of the resurrection, which overflows and is active in those of us who believe. So the power of the resurrection is active in me. They don't really define how. But then when it comes to the suffering, they say, I I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness. In other words, the way I'm uh, participating in his suffering is the internal conforming me to his image, breaking me. It's the idea, I guess, those things of dying to self, uh, denying self. That is how I'm participating in the suffering. That's That seems to be the direction they go with that. But if you look at all of that, you're still left with a lot of like, I'm not, do we have this figured out? So if we just scroll down, all of a sudden we'll get commentaries. Yes, commentaries. Now, we're going to look at these and we're going to see if we get any, any idea uh, what they're talking about here. I'm going to check something here. I'm going to, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to reduce the volume. I'm going to open up the Spreaker app, make sure I'm not missing anyone's comments. All right. Here we go. All right. Okay. Let's see what the commentaries do. All right. So the translations... I guess the most, the, the probably the only interesting thing from the translations is it seems some of them go with the idea that he just wants to experience the power of the resurrection, not an actual resurrection, just the power of it. And then that suffering, at least the Amplified tries to say that suffering more is more of us just being conformed to his image. Let's see what we can find here in some of these commentaries. All right. Um, I I'm, I'm just I'm I'm trying to skim this. All right. I don't think that's going to help me. Um Okay, now they this the first one um they connect the this idea of the power of the resurrection to justification in regeneration. It's inseparable from it, which lie at the entrance of the Christian life. So they're saying that we experience the power of the resurrection through our justification and regeneration. All right. Then it says, next comes the partaking of his suffering and conformity to his death, which are the taking up of the cross and following him in the obedience even unto death. The fellowship of sufferings coming partly from the sin of others, partly from our own sin, is the constant theme of the new testament. So, it seems that what they're saying is the power of the resurrection, we experience that in justification and regeneration, and then the we we partake in the sufferings through sanctification. Right? It's being it's it's denying self and, and struggling over sin and feeling guilt and and all of that is the sanctifi- sanctifying process is to felt, to be partake in his sufferings. In other words, he suffered dying for sin, we suffer in dying to sin. Does does that make some sense? I I, I hope it does. I hope that makes some kind of sense. Let's see if we can, what other commentaries do. We'll go down to the pulpit commentary. Uh, Now, see, now this one says, the resurrection of Christ was a glorious manifestation of divine power. That resurrection is now a power in the spiritual life of Christians. It stimulates the spiritual resurrection, the resurrection from the death of sin unto the life of righteousness. It is the center of our most cherished hopes, the evidence of our immortality, the earnest of the resurrection of the body. All right, they, they kind of almost make it sound like it's more of a power. I like the idea of saying the, the resurrection, the power of the resurrection is found in our justification and our regeneration. It gives us spiritual life. Right. And by that spiritual life, then we believe then remember, we have to be resurrected spiritually before we can believe. Now I know this gets to the order of salvation, but I don't believe it's my faith that produces my regeneration. I think it's my regeneration that brings me that that I can then reach out in faith. And then once I reach out in faith, then the then the imputed righteousness is, 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 is given to me or is imputed to me. His righteousness is imputed to me, is the correct way to state that. And then therefore I'm declared perfectly righteous. We talked a little bit about this in our uh, Bible study exercise on Wednesday. So um, that makes sense. So, uh, okay, I, that's I, I, right now that's the most convincing to me. Now, when you start talking about now, now I've got this divine power in me. Well, then I'd start raising all the practical questions. If I've got so much supernatural power flowing through my body, uh, then why do I continue to sin and struggle? And, and yeah, we, we could get very frustrated here. Let's see what they do with the fellowship of his suffering. This clause and the last are bound together under one article according to the best... I got things popping up on my screen. Um, Let me read this again. This clause and the last are bound together under one article according to the best manuscripts. There is a very close connection between them. To know the quickening power of his resurrection, we must share his sufferings. The Christian... Meditating and, and loving thought of the sufferings of Christ has led to feel ever a deeper and a more awful sympathy with the sufferings of, of uh, the suffering Savior. If, and if, when we are called to suffer, we take it patiently, looking unto Jesus, then our sufferings are united with his sufferings. We suffer with him, and he who hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows feels for us in the sacred heart being touched with the feelings of our infirmities." the fellowship in suffering leads through his grace to fellowship in glory okay so they're like they seem to just say that we we meditate on his suffering we feel sympathy for his suffering and then somehow when we suffer we suffer with him seems kind of vague and somewhat generic I'm not super happy with that one. Now I'm going to click on what says parallel commentary so I can bring up more commentaries. All right. Let's see if some other translate, if something else helps us because that's not super helpful here. All right. I'm going to look at others. All right. Let's see here. Um, not helpful. I'm going down. Okay, I'm going to go, where is the next one here? The power of Christ's resurrection is inseparable from the fellowship of his sufferings. We must not suppose that Paul's solemn and awful words here trench in the smallest degree on the solitary unapproachableness of Christ's death. He would have answered as in a fact he he does answer the appeal of the prophetic sufferer. Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, and uh, with the strongest negative, no other human lips have ever tasted or can ever taste a cup of such bitterness as he drained for us all, and no other human lips have ever been so exquisitely sensitive to the bitterness which they have drunk. The identifi- identification of himself with with a sinful world, the depth, uh, the depth and closeness of his community of feeling with all sorrow, the consciousness of the glory which he had left, and the perpetual sense of the hostility into which he had come, set Christ's suffering by themselves as surely as the effects that flow. So what they're basically saying here is that, okay, whenever Paul talks about, you know, basically be fellow being a part of the fellowship of his suffering, he isn't, he isn't saying that our suffering could ever compare to what Christ suffered because what he suffered was far greater than anything we could comprehend. All right, so what... All right, so I'm still trying to figure out exactly what he's talking about here. Um, They go on to say, "It it may be a question whether the Apostle Paul here is referring to outward or inward and ethical sorrows, but perhaps we should not do justice to the thought unless we extend it to cover both of these. Certainly if his theology was, but the generalizing of his experience, he had ample material in his daily life for knowing the fellowship of Christ's suffering. One of his most frequently recurring and most cherished thoughts is that to suffer for Christ is to suffer with Christ. And he has found and teaches us to find strength, to endure patience and outlast any sorrows. All right. Um, This just seems to say, that one one is not super helpful. This just seems to go with the direction, the idea that, hey, when we suffer, we suffer with Him. So when so we experience the resurrection. If we, if we leave the resurrection to justification and regeneration, if, yeah, if we leave the resurrection to justification and regeneration, that makes some sense. That's tangible. We understand that. And if we take the suffering, though, and say every every suffering I suffer with him, I guess we could do that. It seems vague, but I, I definitely like the idea that Christ suffered. When we think of his suffering, he suffered for sin he suffered to pay for sin and i then as a christian must suffer in a sin he suffered dying for sin i have to suffer dying to sin that seems to to me we we can place the resurrection with justification and regeneration and i can put the suffering with sanctification and that seems to make more sense in a in somewhat of a theological order okay i'm going to look at another one here um it says, the fellowship of his sufferings, that I may participate in the same kind of sufferings that he endured. That is, that I may in all things be identified with him. Paul wished to be just like his Savior. He felt that it was an honor to live as he did, he, to invince the spirit that he did and to suffer in the same manner. So, so it's like, like, hey, let me suffer the way Jesus suffered. I can't suffer the way Jesus suffered. I mean, his suffering was different. I, 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 that one, I'm, I'm not so. That one doesn't seem very helpful. Um, another, tra- another commentary: the fellowship of his sufferings by identification with him in his sufferings and death, by imputation, also in actually bearing the cross. Whatever is laid on us after his example, and so filling up that which you behold, the affections of Christ. So in other words, they kind of go back to the idea of taking up the cross. We are, we, those of us who have been regenerated, those of us who have been justified, we are called to a life of taking up a cross, which is dying to self and denying self and no longer following self. There is suffering in that. There there is never ending suffering in the the Christian life in the sense that we are always fighting against our sinful nature and always struggling with sin. Right? Um, Yeah, I mean, okay, see, this this one's not helpful. The fellowship of his sufferings by communion of Christ's suffering is not meant of bearing a part in the merit of his personal sufferings, but being partaker of his suffering in his members or mystical body, which inward or outward. I, I don't even know what that is referring. That doesn't seem helpful in any way, shape, or form. All right, let's see here. All right, John Gill says, the fellowship of his sufferings, either his personal sufferings, and so signifies a sharing in and a participation of the benefits arising from them, such as reconciliation for sin, peace with God, pardon, righteousness. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. John Gill goes with the idea that the fellowship of the suffering is that we share in and participate in the benefits arriving from his suffering. He suffered, right? And now I f- I'm, I'm the fellowship of those sufferings is I reap the benefits of that suffering. That I'm not actually suffering, but I reap the benefits. He died for sin, so I'm dead to the pow- to the punishment of sin. That's interesting. That take that they say fellowship is not me suffering, but me identifying and participating in the suffering as far as a, the one who receives the benefit from it. Christ did all of the suffering. That that's interesting. Okay, I've got one more commentary here to look at. Uh yeah, substitutionary atonement, I, I think. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. So someone was asking the question of kind of what John Gill was going with. And that's an interesting approach is, Hey, look, I, I experienced his resurrection in justification and regeneration. And in a sense, I fellowship with his suffering and that he, he in a sense, he, he took every drop of the cup. He, he took all of the suffering. Now I reap the benefits from it. that, that that could possibly work. That could, that could possibly work. I'm going to go to uh, one other commentary that's not listed there that I have here on an app on my iPad. If I can find the app, where is it? Where is it? Here it is. So it's, a, it's a Bible app where you can buy uh, digital commentaries. And so I have a, some commentary sets on here. I'm going to go to Philippians. There's Philippians 3. Okay, they may not have any, oh, they may see here, i see, verse 10, do they have it? the fellowship of Christ, all right, all right, they call it the fellowship of Christ, when, he, when, speaking of Paul, when he became a Christian, it was not the end for Paul, but the beginning, his, uh, his experience with Christ was so tremendous that it transformed his life. And this experience continued in the years to follow. It was a personal experience that I may know him. As Paul walked with Christ, prayed, obeyed his will, and sought to glorify his name, when he was living under the law, all Paul had was a set of rules. But now he had a friend, a master, a constant companion. It was a powerful experience. And the power of his resurrection, as the resurrection power of Christ went to work in Paul's life, Christ liveth in me. For Paul's estimate of the resurrection power of Christ and what it can do in your life, all right? Now, that, okay, so they go with the direction that the power of the resurrection, again, is some some experiential power that you have in your life and you can do all of these things. I have problems with that. I think that the power of the resurrection is is experienced in justification and regeneration, All right? Now, what do they go? He says they go, the fellowship of his sufferings, Paul knew that it was a privilege to suffer for Christ. In fact, suffering had been a part of his experience from the very beginning. As we grow in our knowledge of Christ and our experience of his power, we come under attack of the enemy. Paul had been a persecutor at one time, but he learned what it means to be persecuted. But it was worth it, for walking with Christ was also a practical experience. And so they don't really do much more with it. Okay, they don't really. Don't you? I love when commentaries like. They give you a couple of thoughts and they're like, okay, we're ready to move on. We're ready to move on. We're, we're, we're done. We're, we're not, we're not going to try to answer this. So let's go back to Philippians 3. All right. that Now, a couple of th- thoughts before I read Philippians 3 again. A couple of thoughts. Number one, what I want you to see from this is that so not more... More often than not, it's, it's highly normal. It's, 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 it's what happens almost every day. Anyone cares to study the Bible. And it's, it's what at times drives me absolutely insane. But I, I wish it wasn't the case, but it's just true. We just looked at a, two phrases, the power of his resurrection. Let me read it again. Philippians 3, uh, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. All right? We've got two phrases there, power of the resurrection and fellowship of his suffering. And we went through numerous commentaries and there's either a lot of just speculation and guessing, but it's so vague. We really can't nail it down to what exactly what it means to maybe disagreements to, to, well, basically there's no actual unity in it. There's just a lot of different thoughts and opinions. And so many times when you're a young Christian, you just don't understand that. You hear one sermon and you think, oh, that's the way it is. And what you have to realize, that's not always the way it is. I wish it was always super clear. I wish this section was super clear. I wish it was. It's typical, the Apostle Paul, that sometimes the way he writes, you're like, wait, what what are you trying to say? Sometimes it's wordy. And sometimes you're just kind of struggling with a little bit about what exactly am I supposed to do with this? So, I like verse 7, 8, and 9 because that all fits perfectly, right? All of these things are lost and I get the righteousness of Christ by faith. Perfect makes sense. Now, verse 10, how it how it begins is interesting because if you'll notice, if you'll go back to um, all the translations, you'll notice something. Um, Some of them almost are completely disconnected to verse 9. It's almost like, I want to know. I want to know that I may know. I want to know to know him. If you look at the King James, what's interesting, and remember the punctuation was not in the original, but the King James does not end verse 9 with a period. So, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Okay, I'm declared righteous by faith, but even though I'm declared righteous by faith because of this faith, is it by this faith that I may know? In other words, do we see this? I guess this is the question. Did Paul come to faith and then it's like, you know what, guys? I wanna know the power of his resurrection. Like like it's something subsequent. He's saved, now he wants to know it. Or, hey, because of faith, I I place that faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. It is by faith that I come to know him. It is by faith that I experience the power of his resurrection. Now, the only problem with that is, no, actually we experience the power of the resurrection that brings us to faith. So how do we understand this. Some of them separate it, almost disconnect it. I want to know, I want to know that I may know. Well, if the power of the resurrection is justification and regeneration, you can't set that as a goal to know that, right? Because it happens. You can't say, I want to know this. Or do you, I mean, like, that would be a that would be a problem. Right? You can't just say, Hey, I want to know regeneration. It doesn't no, You're, You are regenerated and brought to faith. Even if you have it the opposite way, right? Even if you have it the opposite way, and you change the order of salvation, then what you would have is someone saying, Okay, I believe. Well, then immediately, once they believe, they would they would experience the power of the resurrection this is almost the way it, it it's worded. It's almost like he comes to faith and then he's like, you know what? I want to know these things. Which then makes it a problem because I don't care what you do with the order of salvation. When you place your faith, you experience it right then, or you experience and then you come to faith, whatever the case may be. I, this seems almost like it's, it's something separate, right? Um, Most of the translations go, that I may know him. And uh, yeah, I, I, my, and by the Christian standard, my goal is, uh, the New Harlem Christian, my goal is. <clears throat> this is. This this is somewhat of a struggle here to know exactly what I want to do. Okay, I I, I would uh, I I would I I would I'm struggling a little bit here. So let's let's read this again, and I, hopefully you can at least follow my my struggle here. Do we connect it to verse 9 or completely separate it like it's a new thought? Like verse 9, and I want to be found in him not having my own righteousness or uh, I'm going to count everything lost and be I'm going to throw everything away. All of my fleshly righteousness, my good works, my good deeds, all of that. I'm, I'm going to be. Uh, I'm going to throw that away, and I'm going to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is God by faith. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Very gospel centered, very gospel based. All right, great. Now, do we stop right there and go, okay, he want, he understands, he has a righteousness now that comes by faith and not by his works. Now, as a result of that, do we connect it to verse ten, or just say? Stop. It's it's almost like now he's saying, now that I've got this righteousness, here are two things I want to know. Here are two things I want to experience. The power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. If we separate it, we almost have to make it somewhat of an experiential concept, right? If we make it an experiential concept, it's just weird, the order. He's got the resurrection before the suffering. Stay, see if this makes sense. If the order was reversed, it would go like this. Now that I have obtained a righteousness, not my own, or a righteousness has been imputed to me by faith. Now that I have been declared righteous, now my goal is, is I want to die to self so that I can experience in a sense, the resurrection of a, of Christ living his life. And the more I die to self, the more of the life of Christ is made manifest. So it would seem like you would have My goal is to experience suffering that I can experience resurrection, but that's not the order. The order is the resurrection comes before the suffering. That's confusing to me. It's not confusing if I say the resurrection here is regeneration and justification and the suffering is sanctification. That makes perfect sense, right? But he, the, the, the hard part with going with that direction is, how do you say, I want to know the power of, of justification and regeneration? That's not something you set a goal out for. I don't know if we're going to have a good answer. If the, if the things were reversed, it would make sense. Now that I've come to faith, now I want to suffer so that I can, or I want to die to self. I want to die to self so that in a sense, then the resurrection of Christ in me, that his life will become more manifest in me as I die to self. But that's not, that's not the order. The order is I want to experience resurrection. Well, how can that be a goal after you've come to faith? You've already experienced it, right? You've already experienced justification and regeneration. I don't even care which order order of salvation you go with. If you say faith, then regeneration or if you go regeneration and faith, in either case, that can't be a goal after the fact. So this has to be this has to be some kind of experiential. I want to experience the power of resurrection in me. Does the are, Am I getting too caught up in the order? Maybe the order doesn't matter. He wants to experience two things. If we go with a very experiential concept, he wants to experience the power of God in him, and that power of God shows up after we fe- partake in the fellowship of the suffering. That he's just giving us two concepts. The power of the resurrection and the fellowship of the suffering. Now, if we, if we make the fellowship of the suffering is that experience of dying to self, being crucified in a sense that we, we take up the cross, we die to ourselves. in a sense we are crucifying ourselves to our, our desires, we're denying ourselves. If we do that, then we start experiencing the power of the resurrection as Christ's life becomes more manifest in us. Is that, is he saying he just wants to experience those two things? but then that makes it something. Does the next verse help any? Well, the next verse is even more, could be problematic. If by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. That seems seems almost like, you know, I'm hoping if I do these two things, then I can experience resurrection. Almost makes it very works-based so people would really cling to these verses. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have a good answer here. I don't think I have a good answer and we're almost at an hour. So here are our, I'm going to kind of, try to, I'm going to try to simplify this so that you can, at least I can give you something to meditate on today and see if you can struggle with this. All right. And we, I have a feeling we're going to be coming back to this at some point. I'm hoping we get lots of responses to this, but I have a lot of feeling that a lot of people are going to be like, Yeah, whatever. You're making it too complicated. I think there's some complications here. So let me try to break it down. If the power of the resurrection is justification and regeneration, then this can't be like a goal Something he's trying to experience after he comes to faith, because no matter matter how you understand the order of salvation, either you experience justification and or regeneration and justification because God regenerated you, justified you, brought you to faith. All of that happens. That's not something you can experience after the fact. That happened in the very process of your salvation. If you change the order and you have faith then regeneration, well then it can't be a goal that you're like, well after my faith I want to experience regeneration. That would if if we all of that becomes a problem, right? That becomes a problem. But so I guess here's our options. We somehow try to just make the resu- the the power of the resurrection, justification and regeneration, and the fellowship of suffering is sanctification. All right? And that this is not to be I I, I don't, I don't know how we understand it because that can't become a goal. I, is it a goal to understand it more? Is it a goal to to know it more deeply? I mean, the sanctification would make sense. Um, I don't know. So either we just make this simply: power of the resurrection is justification and regeneration, and the fellowship of suffering is sanctification. Boom. How it fits with the previous verse? How. We we don't really have a good explanation. If we throw out that idea and say no 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 no, the power of the resurrection, he wants to experience this in some experiential way, in some experiential way, and the fellowship of the suffering is some experiential suffering where I suffer and it's connected to Christ's suffering. If we make it some experiential thing, then it's just left well like many of the commentaries, it's just kind of vague. You become saved, and then you you want you you seek to experience the power of the resurrection in your life in some just experiential way that no one can ever really totally explain. Oh, a lot of people will try to make it make sense, but then that creates all kinds of problems because if it's some experiential power that 's in my life, well then you know you think it would be enough power to stop sinning all right and then the the suffering just becomes whenever I suffer, then I try to see that suffering with Christ. It just becomes a very vague experiential concept. So either it's very much connected to salvation, right? uh, Regeneration, justification, and sanctification. Or it's some experiential thing that I have to seek, that I have to try to make, make it a part of my life but nobody can really define exactly how I do that and what it looks like and what it does and what it doesn't do. I don't know of a third option. You see why when these books rip these verses so far out of their context, it creates problems? I have a feeling we're going to be doing some sermon reviews on sermons on Philippians 3, 10 through 11, just to see. Now that we've kind of possibly came up with all this, I'll, we'll end with this. A lot of times in hermeneutics, this is what you come up with. You come up with, I don't have a definitive answer, right? It's better, look, here's the way I view it. It's better not to have a definitive answer than to to, to throw out what is clearly not obvious try to make it obvious simply that you can have a sermon so many pastors simply want to have a sermon more than they want to have an actual honesty with the text sometimes sometimes the text leaves you with i don't know sometimes the text leaves you with i don't know and i don't know is a perfect a perfectly fine hermeneutical answer But sometimes in preaching, we forego the I don't know because I got to have a sermon. This is week number whatever in the book of Philippians. Today, we're at Philippians 3, you know, 10 through 11 or 10 through... 12, 10 through 12, and we're going to, and oh, and then, and then the pastor can say lots of spiritual meaning words. Oh, you can experience the power of the resurrection in your life today. You know, you can, and we want to partake in his sufferings by seeing our suffering as being a, a, that we're, we're connected to him and we get to suffer with him. It's a privilege. And you and everybody in the church will be like, amen. Oh, that's good pastor. And then, and then you wait in the parking lot when the sermon is over and like, what, what does that mean? What does that actually look like? Well, I mean, I, I, well, I, the, and they can't—they can't verbalize it because it's just some vague spiritual-sounding principle that pl- that placates everyone to thinking they heard a sermon, a good sermon, when all you heard was just nothing—spiritual-sounding Sp- words which signify nothing. It's all shadow and no substance. I would rather go. Look, guys, I don't know what in the world to do with this and i don't know what in the world to do with this at this moment but clearly it's going to bother me all day hopefully it will bother you and we'll see if you have any thoughts or ideas you know what to do email me i'm going to check my email inbox really quick i'm going to check my email inbox wow this i knew what i knew i knew one of these were going to be bad and this one man This one is just problematic all day long. See here. Uh, No, I have. uh, No, I don't. I just have ministries asking me for money. Okay. That's what I always have. Okay. So (laughs) I get asked. I get, I think I get asked for money more than anybody on the earth. Okay. I'm like, how many emails a day can I get for someone wanting my money? All right. Uh, All right. I, I feel bad. I feel bad, but I don't know what to do. I hope I've given you every possibility and tried to show you the problems with every one of them. There's, there's problems no matter the way you go. I like just saying, hey, power of the resurrection, that's that's justification and regeneration. And uh, the suffering, that's sanctification. That sounds good. That preach is good, but then you're like, well, wait a minute. Does that, how does that work? How can this be his, like, I will, that my goal is to know these things. Well, wait, you, you've already been declared righteous. You've already had faith. So that means you've already experienced at least the regeneration and the justification. So how can that be a goal to, to know it in an intimate way? I, I don't know. I don't know. All right, we'll stop right there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. Clearly today we're going to be spending time in Philippians 3. I don't know how many broadcasts we're going to do. I'm going to look and see what, I don't even know what sermon I want to review on it, but we'll, I may just go do something random. I may just go to, uh, I may go to Sermon Audio because those are easy to download and just do a, a, a search for Philippians 3.10 and the first one that shows up is the first one we will review. Not not to criticize it. I, actually seeking help and see if we when we're done we're like ah oh, we're idiots we should have figured that out or we'll be like what are you talking about that doesn't make any sense okay I don't know I, I have a feeling it's going to be frustrating but well we've got to do something so this is going this is going to lead to now a mini series on Philippians three ten. If you, if you have, look, most of the people who listen to this, you've gone to church for a very long time. Give me your best take on Philippians three, 10 through 11 today on what you have been taught. And you say, well, I don't remember what I was taught or I was taught, but it didn't make any sense. Well, then I can say, welcome to the club because man, there's some problems. All right, let's stop. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great day. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. God bless.